your background. It's interesting. Catholics and Jews have a lot in common. But we have a priesthood, or had one. You still have one. Actually, what I like to think of Catholicism is Judaism 1.1. Haven't quite fully embraced the new covenant. Still hanging around in the old, in some ways. Um, and, and, and so, uh, we're zealous in many ways for religion. As, as Jews, we have much tradition as Catholicism has. And, um, and what, what I found, as you found, Kevin, is that coming to faith in Jesus is not religion. It's a relationship with the living God. And uh, so I, I came to faith uh, from a Jewish background and um, uh, raised in the Orthodox tradition and incredibly uh, confused about what in the world was going on. Um, I, I was raised religiously, but really didn't know God and, and didn't know life. And, um, yeah. Travis normally does this, but all the children are now dismissed. Oh, that's all right. That's great. So uh, I'm going to share with you this, this morning, uh, if this works, uh, the, uh, try and help you connect with, with your roots. You know, Paul wrote in, um, in uh, Romans 11 that Gentiles who were strangers to the covenants of promise, who were separated from God, have now been brought near. Essentially, you who are far off, Gentiles, were grafted into a Jewish tree. And I know this probably offends everyone, but the reality is, is that Christianity is Jewish. And Jesus made you kosher. <laughs> uh, and so my job as, as a Jewish person who's come to faith is to, to kind of share with you your roots and, and to see that really nothing has changed. There's, there's an, a flow of history that that God has unfolded his redemptive program. But as you, you connect to your Jewish roots, you'll see that, that you have been grafted into some wonderful things. And, uh, and so my job as a missionary to the Jewish people is to explain that to the Jewish people, but also to help you understand as well um, what your birthright is in Messiah that you've been made a part of these people whom God has set apart forever. And in fact, God's faithfulness to the Jewish people is an indication to us. It's his faithfulness to, to you and me that nothing will separate his love from you. Um, we like to say, uh, you know, Jews are like anyone else, only more so. <laughs> and uh, you may have sinned retail, we sinned wholesale. Um, but God hasn't forsaken us. And uh, so what I want to share with you this morning is, is an understanding of what in the world is going on from a biblical perspective in the Middle East and, and, and how it's rooted in history and, and where it's all going. Now, that's quite a lot of stuff we're going to try and cover here, and I'm not sure if this is going to work well, but we'll give it a good shot. All right. So the source and the solution for the Middle East crisis. How's that for a good subject, huh? You came thinking that you were just going to learn about persecution or trials or sufferings, but I've got news for you. This morning you're going to know the source of the Middle East crisis and the solution. 
And you'll be able to go home or go uh, hang around the water cooler and tell your friends you've got the answer for the Middle East crisis. All right? Well, let's see if I can do that. Uh, first of all, uh, Isaiah chapter 19, verses 19 through 23, talks about uh, a, a day that is to come. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior, a defender, and deliver them. And the Lord will make him know, himself known to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. Now, we've just witnessed some incredible things in Egypt. And Isaiah 19 goes on to also describe Assyria. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Assyria is Iraq and, and, and um, uh, Lebanon and Syria. That was the ancient lands that, uh, that, that Assyria occupied, even a part of Iran was occupied. And in the future, Isaiah sees a day when Egypt and Assyria will come into Egypt, Egypt into Assyria, <clears throat> and then it ends with the, with the promise that Israel will be the third part with Assyria and Egypt. <clears throat> now these verses... Uh, let me take a drink here. These verses are speaking of a day <clears throat> that has not yet come, but is prophesied to come. Uh, one of the amazing things of, uh, of God is that the Lord has given to us uh, his word, not only on what has been, but also, and, and what is, but what is to come. Uh, the book of Revelation talks about the things that were, the things that are, and the things that are to come. And the book of Revelation also is speaking of the, the, the comp compiling uh, a number of words that the prophets gave to Israel. In fact, the writer of Revelation expected his readers to fully be uh, familiar with all the Old Testament. And so uh, these words here in Isaiah speak of a change that's going to occur to the nations. Uh, that then and now are Israel's enemy. They're a picture of the entire world coming to worship the God of Israel. And, and that's a marvelous truth, isn't it? That one day, every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess. You know that. You, we, we sing that and we read that in the New Testament, but it's not, an, it's not a new covenant word. It's a, it's a word that was rooted in the Old Covenant. And, and really, the Old Covenant is, is, is the foundation for the New Covenant. Now, now when, how will this happen? Uh, that's, that's what we want to know. How can Israel and the nations of the world find peace? Kevin has found peace. And a number of others of you have found peace. Well, the source and the solution to the world's problems are found in God's Word, the Bible. This morning, I hope to encourage and stimulate us to, uh, to have trust and confidence in God's Word, the Bible. You can depend on God's Word. In fact, if you want greater faith, we're told in Scripture, faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's Word. And if you're not regularly in God's Word, you're going to find your faith weak. And, and if you'd like a, a faith lift, um, you, you need to be in the Word. And, and really, actually, it'll make your face look better, too. Um, anyway, Scripture imparts wisdom in understanding what is happening in the world. Um, 
there it is, Scripture reports the source of man's problems and the solution. And Scripture faithfully records history and reports the cause of what is happening today. Now, how do we know that? What we learn from history. Unless we learn from history, we are doomed to repeat it. Um, Oh, all right. Uh, unless we learn from history, we will re- repeat it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. What is, what is the writer talking about? This is Paul talking about the Jewish people in the context of the wilderness wanderings. And, you know, the reason God brought the Jews into the wilderness was not to kill them, not to punish them, but to prepare them for the promised land. But they complained. They have, we have a Yiddish word, kvetched. I like that word. Isn't that a good word, kvetch? They complained and murmured. And uh, you know what? Like Israel, we came out of bondage and slavery. And, and in the same way, through the blood of the Lamb. By faith, we applied it to our doorposts of our heart. And God saw the blood and passed over us. We were redeemed and brought out of bondage, brought out of bondage and slavery, and began our journey to the promised land. And sometimes we fetch on our journey. Sometimes we complain and murmur. And so we need to learn, as Paul writes, by their example. Uh, for he goes on to say that. Actually, not many of them who came out of Egypt made it into the promised land. In fact, everyone over the age of 21 that left Egypt, except for two men, died. And we're talking about probably a couple of million people died because of that complaining and murmuring. And many of us are dying or in some cases uh, are dead because we are complaining and murmuring, and, and not experiencing the joy of the Lord. And so we can learn from history. We, in fact, that's God's desire that we learn from Israel's history and see how it applies to our lives today. And so um, uh, Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. And Abraham is, is the foundation of our faith. Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. He's the father of the Arab people. He's the father of the followers of Messiah. Uh, Abraham had many sons, and I am one of them, and so are you. And uh, we all know that song. But Abraham also is the father of the Arab people. Uh, Now, there are two ways people may walk today. Uh, In in the days of Abraham and as well as today. Uh, And the difference is between walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. Abraham walking in the flesh? Can that be? Well, I think you're going to see that Abraham did. God promised to bless Abraham and make him a great a father of a multitude of nations. And the Lord said to Abraham, I will make you a, a mighty nation, and I will um, uh, bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Well, God promised Abraham a son. And Abraham and Sarah uh, needed to learn. Uh, uh, okay, the word of the Lord came to him. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 4, he, in Genesis, um, uh, God said to him, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. It was actually in the context of, of um, the great battle against these four nations that had conspired uh, 
uh, to uh, oppress the people of the plain that is Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, that's where Lot was living. And, and Lot was captured by these kings along with the king of Sodom. And Abraham heard about it. And with 350 men, he went, uh, went against and attacked this alliance of nations and beat them. And then he uh, gave the glory to the Lord. And, and actually, he, he came with his troops, along with the king of Sodom, to the king of Salem. We read about it in Genesis chapter 14. To give praise to God, for he recognized that it was God that gave him that, that uh, victory. That king of Salem, by the way, was a foreshadowing of, of the Messiah. Uh, for Salem is actually Ir Salem. Ir meaning uh, city or village. And Salem is a peace, or what we call today Jerusalem, Ir Shalom, Jerusalem. And so he, he, he presented the tithes, and, and, and the king of Sodom said to him, Keep the spoils, and, and, uh, and, and, um, and I just, you, you, you deserve the spoils. And Abraham said, I don't want to take anything except uh, what the men have uh, need, and I'm going to give a tenth to the Lord. And, and when God heard that, and the reason he said it to the king of Sodom is, I don't want it ever to be said that you made me rich. And, and God said, well, you know what? I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And I will be your shield and protector because those kings might, you might be worried. God knew he was a little bit worried about those kings retaliating. I'll be your shield. I'll be your protection. And I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham said, what does it matter. Eliezer is going to be my heir because I don't have any children. And Sarah's now 70 years old and uh, doesn't look like anything's going to happen. And uh, God said to him, no, this man will not be your heir, but one who's going to come from your own body. And Sarah, however, was unable to bear children, naturally. So she came up with what we call a cockamamie plan. She said to herself, the Lord helps those who help themselves Have you heard that? Have you said that? Well, Sarah said that, and that was coming up with a human way for a godly promise. God said, you're going to have a son. But both Sarah and Abraham thought that that was humanly impossible. So Sarah came up with an alternate plan called surrogate motherhood. And she had a slave named Hagar... Uh, who, by the way, came from a, uh, when, when Abraham lacked faith and left the promised land, he went to Egypt. And when he went to Egypt, you know what he did? He, he compromised his wife. I mean, here's the father. I love the Bible. You know why I love the Bible? Because it doesn't cover the warts. It doesn't cover uh, uh, the, the, the bad behavior of our fathers. It shows us, in fact, the consequences of bad behavior. And so Abraham actually goes into the land and says to Sarah, you know, you're a good-looking girl. And I know that when kings see good-looking women, accidents happen to husbands. Um, fast forward a couple of years, and, and that's exactly what happened to Uriah the Hittite regarding uh, Bathsheba. An accident happened, and David married Bathsheba. Well, Abraham says, say you're my sister, which was a half-truth but a whole lie. And, uh, and so they went to Egypt, and instead of uh, Pharaoh killing Abraham, he uh, rewarded him. He gave him a dowry for the brother, 
a dowry to the brothers so he could take Sarah into his harem. And part of that dowry was Hagar. She was one of the gifts that were given to Abraham. And so this Egyptian woman now becomes uh, Sarah's handmaiden, and, and Abraham comes up with this altar, or Sarah comes up with this plan, have at it with my maid, and her, she's my property, and whatever comes from her is mine. And that's how we'll fulfill God's promise to you. The Lord will help those who help themselves. And so this is a child of the flesh. Abraham and Sarah needed to learn that God's promises are fulfilled supernaturally, not naturally. The child born naturally was Ishmael, but the son born by the bondwoman, Hagar, was born according to the flesh. All right, so the natural, uh, God operates, however, in supernatural ways. Uh, The natural birth brought immediate problems. You know, when you operate in your own strength and go against God's word and try and help God in your own way, it brings problems, as we're going to see. Um, so he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Hagar began to think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm the real wife here. I can produce children. I'm the one who is worthy, and Sarah, you know, she's barren. And so Sarah said to Abraham, may the wrong done to me be upon you. I love this. Abraham listened to his wife. It was her idea. And he gets blamed for it. Does that sound familiar to any of you guys? Doesn't cover the warts. But as men, we are to lead our homes in the ways of the Lord. And when our wives come up with an idea that may not be the will of God, we need to say, no, Abraham didn't. And there are consequences. But Abraham, you know, being passive-aggressive, said, you know, you deal with it. She's your maid. Do what you see is right. So Sarai, Sarah, treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. And um, so, but, but the fact of the matter is, God loves Ishmael. God loved Hagar. In the midst of all this ungodliness, God is a God of love and can redeem even the worst situations. So through, though the birth of Ishmael was according to the flesh, God demonstrated his love for both Hagar and Ishmael. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. Now, who's this angel of the Lord? Does anybody know who this angel of the Lord is? I heard someone say it. Amen. It's Jesus. How could Jesus be on the scene? He wasn't born yet. Well, he's Lord. He's eternal. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God, the Son, existed before he was born. And he's often referred to in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. And he speaks with the authority of God and with the word of God, for he is the word of God. And so the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. 
Now, she was afflicted because of her attitude, really. She had a bad attitude, Hagar. But God loved her. And he loved her for the sake of Abraham. And for the sake of Isaac as well. For the sake of Ishmael. uh, And for the sake of uh, Sarah and, and Hagar. All right, so Hagar was told to return to Sarah. With God's promise, Hagar returns, submits to Sarah's authority, and blessings come. Um, Come on. Ishmael is born and for 14 years enjoys Abraham's delight as his only son. And then the child of promise is born. There goes the neighborhood. Everything was going great for uh, Hagar and Ishmael. Uh, He was the only son. Sarah's 90 years old. There's no way anything is going to happen. You know, it's interesting. Jewish people have trouble with the virgin birth. You don't get any closer to a virgin birth than Sarah having a baby at 90. I mean, that's as close as you can get without being a virgin birth. Okay, so the child of promise is born. And Isaac is born according to the Spirit. As Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, but the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. Ishmael was born naturally. Isaac was born supernaturally. All right, both sons are loved by God. Ishmael was told he would become a great nation. Born of an Egyptian mother, he became the father of the Arab peoples. But Hagar, oh gee. But Hagar and Ishmael now were deemed by Sarah to be a threat to her son. And so she told Abraham to cast them out. And it greatly grieved Abraham. This was his son. But God endorsed Sarah's wishes. Whoa. What kind of God is that? Cast out the woman? Cast out the mother of my child? Uh, cast out my son? And yet God says to do it. You know what? If I were a kid, I would say God is not fair. Have any of your kids ever said that to you as parents? That's not fair. Here's the truth that we have to come to deal with. God's ways are not our ways. And what appears to be unfair is, is something that is quite fair in God's ways. We don't know his ways. And God saw ahead. God saw the future. So humanly speaking, this is, this is just not right. But it's God's word. And so... Um, we read in Genesis 9.21, Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking. Because when this child was born, Hagar began mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of the maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Don't be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you to do, listen to her. For through Isaac your descendants shall be named. That was God's plan all along. But Abraham and Sarah messed it up. 
But God will redeem it all if we follow his plan. Do you see what the consequences of fleshly decisions are? They get messy when we operate according to the flesh. And so Ishmael was cast out. The spiritual truth conveyed here, Ishmael was born according to the flesh and Isaac was born according to the spirit. The birth of these two children are later used by Paul as an allegory or an illustration of, a, of an important truth. And that truth is they instruct us that there are two ways to walk, either by the flesh or by the spirit. I'm sorry about this. Okay, children of the flesh. He came to his own and those who were his own didn't receive him. My, my people, the Jewish people, we rejected this, the Messiah. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Each one of you who have come to faith have come to faith supernaturally by the will of God. It's not your idea. It's God who loved you and moved you and opened your eyes and caused you to be born supernaturally. Supernaturally. If you are born of the Spirit, it was not your decision. It was a work of God's Spirit. I know you had a part in it. Yes, you, you made a decision. But it's God's Spirit that moved you. You were born, if you're born again, you were born supernaturally. Born of the Spirit. Paul tells us in Galatians 4.29, but as, at, at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So it is now also. Now, you fast forward a couple of thousand years. And what you have right now going on in the Middle East is ultimately a spiritual battle. It's the children of flesh versus the children of the Spirit. Now, God is not willing that Hagar's offspring or the children of Ishmael perish. He, ha- he loves them. He's made it clear he loves them. But we have to come to him his way. And this is still true today. God's people today can walk by the Spirit or can walk by the flesh. Walking in the flesh is the natural way of mankind. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. But sadly, as believers, we, can, we too can walk according to the flesh. Abraham did, didn't he? Sarah did. They were God's children. And they walked according to the flesh. The consequences for walking in the flesh affect our families, just as they affected the children of Abraham and Jacob. And so this is a truth that applies to us today. God's answers to the crisis. Both Jews and Arabs are children of Abraham. Both are beloved of God. But the only answer for peace is for both Jews and Arabs to yield to God's loving solution and come to Jesus. That's that's where I come in. I'm a missionary to the Jews. And I also have worked and continue to work among Arabs. Our ministry 
proclaims the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. We have missionaries serving in Israel. There are congregations of both Jews and Arabs, Palestinian Arabs, worshiping the Lord together. But it's coming to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their father Abraham was an example in yielding and trusting God. And so they both must learn from his example. How so? Well, Abraham had to trust God for Ishmael, didn't he? So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. God told Abraham to cast off Ishmael. And he had to trust God for him. And what happened? God provided. We'll see in a minute. And Abraham had to trust God for Isaac. The very next chapter, God says, all right, now take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took his Isaac, his son, and went to the place God told him. But God provided first for Ishmael. God heard the lad crying, and the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said to her, what is the matter with you, Hagar? Don't fear for God has heard you. And this is again Jesus coming to Agar. God's heard the, the lad where he's crying. Arise, lift the lad and hold the boy, for I'll make a great nation of him. God heard Hagar's cry and assured her that he sees her need. Now, how do we know that God loves the Arabs? He gave them all the oil. <laughs> well, not quite all of it. But he does love them. God provides. Then for Isaac... Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him and said, said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Don't stretch your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. So Abraham learned obedience. When the word of the Lord told him to do something that didn't make any sense, that didn't seem right or fair. Abraham obeyed, and God provided. And he will provide for you. If you read his word, and if you obey his word. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, a ram caught by the thicket. And he took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering on the place of the mount. And Abraham called the mount the Lord will provide. I don't know your ray. Do you know what the word your ray means? We call it Jehovah Jireh. It means the Lord sees. And because the Lord sees, the Lord provides. Because of God's prevision, God makes provision. Now, the Temple Mount is the very same mount that God provided for Abraham and Isaac. That's where the sacrifice was offered, Mount Moriah. The word Moriah means the place that God sees. Same root, Yireh, the place that God sees. And by the way, that's where the Dome of the Rock is and where the Al-Aqsa Mosque is and where, before that, the Temple stood. That's the place that God sees. He has described in his word the events that will take place there. All nations will seek to lay claim to God's holy land and holy city. 
And this is prophesied. But the Lord will return. And he's going to end all argument. That, long, that land belongs to the Lord. Both Israel and Jerusalem, the holy city, belongs to the Lord. The Amorites and the Canaanites were removed from the land because of their iniquity. Because it's a holy land. And so God removed them. We read about it in, in, in Genesis chapter 15 where God says that, that, that in the future he tells Abraham, your children, your offspring will come back to this land until the, uh, or, or the Amorite and the Canaanite will live there until the fullness of the Amorite, until their iniquity, until I've had enough of them. And then I will remove them and put Israel into the land. But the Jewish people were removed from the land for their iniquity because it's this holy land. And when the Lord returns, he will, res- he will remove iniquity once again. Now, we're living in a day when God has brought the Jews back to the land. Do they deserve to be in the land? No. Are they righteous people? No. But there's chosen people. Deal with it. Why? I don't know why he chose them. I guess he chose them for the same reason he chose you. In fact, I know it's for the same reason. Because he loved them. If you have a problem with the Jews occupying that land, then you have a problem with him promising you a land because you don't deserve it any more than they do. But they demonstrate that he keeps his promises apart from anything that we deserve. The Lord returns. He's going to remove iniquity again from Israel. And he will judge the nations and establish his kingdom on earth. We live in a day where our country is beginning to vacillate in its stand for Israel. David Jeremiah wrote, In his book, Ten Things I Never Thought I'd See. One of the ten things he thought he'd never see was America turning its back on Israel. And he said, I fear more for our country than I do for Israel. For God has said, I will bless those that bless thee, and I will curse those that curse thee. And so we're living in a day where we're seeing prophecy being fulfilled. And we have nothing to fear because it's exciting. We're seeing his word fulfilled. And if his promises and his word is being fulfilled, then we know that his promises and assurances to us are certain and true. And that if I commit myself and live for the Lord, he will care for me, no matter what my trials may be, no matter what happens. And he loves all mankind. He's not willing that any man should perish, but that all might come to repentance and life. I think I'm going to end here. Things are unfolding in America. Things are unfolding around the world. 
We are living in the last days. And we're told that in the book of Revelation, we're told throughout Scripture by Jesus that that these things would happen. And he tells us not to worry, for I have overcome the world. But he does tell us to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. He's actually given us only one commandment. Well, two commandments. To to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbor as ourselves. But the last word that he said to us, and this is the bottom line commandment. Go and make disciples of all nations. What is the source of the Middle East crisis? It's walking according to the flesh. What is the solution to the Middle East crisis? What is the solution to any crisis? Walking according to the Spirit. Coming to Christ. Coming to Jesus. Surrendering your life to Him. Learning how to walk in His Spirit. Being discipled and then making disciples. We're rapidly coming to a place where we cannot stand on the fence anymore. God is a jealous God. Either you are for him or you are against him. Either you are hot or cold. But if you're lukewarm, God is going to vomit you. Many in that day will say to me, Lord, didn't we do all kinds of things in your name? He's going to say, I never knew you. If you are not fully committed to Jesus, then you're going to be in trouble as things unravel. And your children are going to be in trouble as things unravel. For there are consequences, as we've learned, from walking according to the flesh as opposed to walking according to the Spirit. And so I urge you, if God's Spirit has spoken to you today, that you would turn back to Him. Surrender your life to Him. Live for Him. And He'll transform your life and bless you. For He loves you and cares for you. And has plans to prosper and bless you. But He will not accept mediocrity. He will not accept lukewarmness especially in these days. And if you will, join me in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you and praise you for our Messiah and our King. We thank you for the days that we live in, that these are the days of Elijah. And they're exciting. And that, Lord, there's a highway, Father, that you've made for us to walk on. It's called the Highway of Holiness. And it comes by surrendering our lives fully and completely to you and walking in your spirit. You've called us to be a holy people. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be your holy people, fully sold out to you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.